0: Uh, ushers you guys can come forward and collect our giving and just a reminder man if it's your first time or if you're a guest with us uh, please hear us man we don't expect you to give Uh, we do pray that this service and your time with us uh, is a real gift a real blessing to you and so you guys can come and collect our giving and as we're doing that encourage you to grab a Bible and go to Daniel chapter 4 Daniel chapter 4 if you don't have a Bible it's probably a black one uh, in the seat rack below you yeah so um And then the passage is also in the bulletin as well as on the screen and so um, so yeah, if you 're able to stand uh, in honor of god 's word, I just encourage you to do that so we 're being looking at the uh, the whole chapter four, but all I want to do uh, for the reading of the word is just to kind of read the last uh, few verses here at the end of the chapter and so before I, that, I just want to say thank you to uh, uh, yeah, Dave Owen, Nathan Sloan, Jacob Percy, and Brian Vickers. And I appreciate the gifts that God has given the church uh, that those guys can step in here and feed us and uh, encourage us from the Word of God. And so, thank you as a church uh, where you give me permission to take a little break. And uh, that's a real gift to me and a gift to my family. And yeah, you guys don't make me feel bad about that. And so, I just, uh, it's hard for me to, to do that. And so, I'm just thankful for to be a part of a church that gives me permission. Uh, to do that so um but yeah i'm back i'm back baby <laughs> so i'm not back like i haven't been gone i just not been up here i've been whatever it doesn't matter here we go amen uh so we're diving in i gotta start bringing my readers up here because this print's getting too small or i want to get a different ballot i'm good i'm good thank you i don't know if they would fit mine so that that might really mess me up so all right here we go verse 34 to the end of the chapter so about But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And He does what He wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one. You can block his hand or stay to him. What have you done? And at that time, my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors, my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of the heavens Because all of his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word and we're thankful for a day that we get to celebrate new life with baptism. God, what a joy that is to be reminded that you uh, have a mission to rescue, and to save us, God. And so look forward to celebrating with Ellie here in a few minutes. God, please teach us. We need your Spirit's help to understand uh, what's going on in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So as I said in my prayer there, this is Baptism Sunday, and uh, one of the things that I personally love uh, Baptism Sunday, and I'm, I'm sure it's one of yours because I've heard you guys say this before. Uh, we, we love hearing people's stories, right? So part of uh, being baptized here, never we never want this to be a barrier. This is not like wall, you know what I'm saying? It's not like if you don't share your testimony, then you can't be baptized. But we do encourage you to write out your story. Like how, how did you come to this place where you're going public uh, with your faith in Christ? If that freaks you out, man, we've got people that will help you write your story, help you write this out. So, you know, that's a whole other conversation in and of itself. But it is. I mean, I love it. And, and part of the reasons that I love it, there's multiple, but a couple, is, is a, it's a reminder for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ of what God did to us, right? It's, a, it's an opportunity every time we do Baptism Sunday to remind yourself of how God saved you, and he continues to do so. Like, it's not a one-time saving. It's a continual saving. Amen? Like, it's, it's like, thank God you haven't given up on me. Like, yes, there's a one-time where I trusted, but, boy, it's a continual deal that continues on. And this is always a beautiful reminder that, man, he's, he's still at work and he's still doing his work. And, and if you're not a Christian here, uh, it's an opportunity for you to hear someone else's story and know that that's what God desires to do in your life. And that invitation is always open. And so I think it's... Um, You know, not ironic, but it's fitting that today we're looking at Daniel chapter 4 because I think Daniel chapter 4 is sort of Nebuchadnezzar's, or King Neb. We might call him King Neb because it's kind of hard to say Nebuchadnezzar every time it's shrinking up seconds for me. Amen? Uh, So Neb, uh, this is sort of his faith journey. Like this is like his kind of testimony of what I think, and I know commentators debate over, like, is this for real or not for real? But I'm, I'm going out on a limb and say, yeah, I think he's a God follower. Yes, I think he's, you know, one who has now submitted his life and worshiping God, the God of Daniel, the God of gods, you know what I'm saying? So I think this is sort of his uh, testimony of how this happened, because we don't hear anything else from Nebuchadnezzar after chapter 4. And if you've been tracking with this, you, you probably feel... Um, Or if you've ever read through the book of Daniel, which I'd encourage you to do, it's a a fascinating book. Uh, The second half we're not jumping into, and you guys are really disappointed about that because there's some fascinating stuff going on in that second half of that book, but we're we're landing the plane next week, uh, so sorry about your uh, frustrations with that. But moving on here, Uh, if you've been reading through Daniel, at least the first half here, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar is sort of a mysterious little figure, but he's a lot like us. In the sense of like, you know, if you go to chapter 2, uh daniel kind of like shares the interprets a dream and then all of a sudden you know nebuchadnezzar is on god's side right it's like daniel's god is the god of gods he is it it's you know it's almost like a sort of a confession of faith and he's saying he's the one he's the god that's over all gods and then you go to Daniel chapter three like we saw last week and he's building this 90 foot statue he's like hey this is a great idea i'm awesome Come worship me, right? It's like, what in the world? Didn't you just kind of do this explanation of who God is, and now you're kind of worshiping yourself, what's going on here? And then, you know, we know the whole story. We saw it last week. You know, he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. There's a fourth person. He freaks out. They come out. They're not even smoking. Not smoking, smoking, but smoking flames, right? So, (laughs) and and we hear, once again, Nebuchadnezzar exalting God and, and acknowledging his supremacy, and I love I don't know if you guys caught this at the end but i love kind of what he says he kind of gives this decree at the end of chapter three and he says you know this is the, the decree you say something bad about shadrach meshach and abednego's god then you will be cut to pieces that's a way to grow your church amen right it's like you know hey you're gonna believe god are you gonna be cut up Anyone disagree, right? Any hands going down? <laughs> it's like, all right. But, uh, and, and once again, and we'll see this here in chapter 4, it's almost like, okay, does he get it in chapter 3? And then some events happen in chapter 4, and we're going, ah, i not sure if he gets it. But I, but I do think as we see the whole of the chapter, there's something different that happens in Nebuchadnezzar here. And I do think uh, he finally gets it, and, and more importantly, uh, God gets him like in the sense of um, ownership, a surrender from Nebuchadnezzar. And so what we'll see in this story, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I think it's good for us because I think what Nebuchadnezzar learns in this story, and what we'll see here is the same thing that we must learn. So the entrance into the kingdom of God is the same for you and the same for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be humbled in order for him to enter in the kingdom of God. What does Jesus say in the Beatitudes, the very first one? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are humble, who recognize their need. There is no room for arrogance, and Jesus makes no sense to you until you've been humbled. And you have only one option, and that is to look up. That's how you get in. And the reality is this, is that that's the thing that God continues to teach you while you live in His kingdom. Pride is really deep in every single one of us in this room. So much so that we're, we're really blind to it. And God is continually teaching you humility. I went to a a wedding yesterday evening. It was a beautiful wedding. Um, Two of our members here, their daughter got married. It was wonderful. And, you know, weddings are fun. There's a lot of energy, excitement, tons of optimism, right, Um, which is great. You know, you you, you don't go to weddings with, you know, you don't get married and not be optimistic. Like, you're not going, I don't know. You know, it's like maybe, you know, I, I was being silly with my wife as we were writing the card out. I said, you know what, what you need to put in there? Hey, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Good luck. You're a pastor, right? It's like, that was supposed to be a little more funnier than what it was, but just being goofy. We did not write that. Um, but here's, here's, if you've been married a while, the vows that you speak on your wedding day have a way of, humbling you five, ten years down the road. you can't do them, right? And I think there's a lot of um, correlation when we're walking with God, when we're life with God, when we're in the kingdom, when we're in relationship with Him. God God knows how prideful you are. (laughs) He's not shocked by it. And God's a kind, loving, merciful God who doesn't come to you day one and say, plop, here's how prideful you are. Like, that would be absolutely crushing. But in time, he does. And there's a, um, a posture that you're going to see here and why God is very merciful and patient and he's wanting to humble us because that's how life is to be lived under his reign and rule. So let's, let's look at this chapter here. So this, um, this chapter 4 is all about a dream that uh, King Deb has. It's what it is. I mean, it's, uh, he tells the dream like two times in here and the interpretation of the dream. And so the dream and the first part of chapter 4 is basically about a tree, King Neb has this dream of this massive, huge tree that's in the, kind of the middle of the land, which is just symbolic as a, it's a cosmic tree. It's, it's massive, and it's, uh, it's flourishing. It gives you know, shade to the animals, and birds nest up in there. It's a life-giving tree. I mean, it's just a flourishing, prosperous, wonderful tree, all right? So that's the good part of the dream. The bad part is like as he's dreaming about this tree, Uh, All of a sudden there's a voice that comes from heaven and then the passage calls it it a watcher or some translation says, you know, like a a messenger of of heaven comes and says, cut down the tree but leave the stump. And then, if that's not strange enough, um, the, the stump itself becomes kind of personified and the stump actually becomes almost like a beast where it's out in the wilderness eating grass and Things that ox and cow eat. And so that portion of the dream disturbs King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, what in the world? Like the tree. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm flourishing or whatever. Then all of a sudden the tree's cut down, but there's a stump, right? And that stump kind of becomes sort of a person, but it's almost like the person's a beast now. He's out in the field, wilderness, eating grass. Like, what is going on? And so Nebuchadnezzar asked, you know, originally his astrologers, and they couldn't figure it out. And then Daniel, which we'll call him the dream whisperer, right, because he's, like, always interpreting dreams. Love to have him along my side every once in a while. It's like, hey, can you help me out with this dream? That was really weird last night. Can you? Okay, maybe not for you. But so, so he comes, King Nebuchadnezzar shares with him the dream. And then in verse 19, look what Daniel says. I just want you to pay attention um, to Daniel's response. So he hears the dream. This tree gets cut down. The stump is sort of personified, goes out in the wilderness eating grass, doing some stuff that only ox and cows do. So listen what he says here. Then Daniel was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. Some translators or even some commentators say that this idea of a moment may have lasted for close to an hour. And it wasn't um, that Daniel was troubled and fearful of telling him what the dream was in the sense of like fearful for his life. But what we see, because what we see in the next verse here, or in that second half of that verse, where he says, Daniel answered him, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you in its interpretation to your enemies so the reason why he's kind of stunned or troubled is not because he's fearful of Nebuchadnezzar killing him or doing some harm to him is because he loves Nebuchadnezzar which is crazy I mean this man completely destroyed any kind of home life he had kind of ripped him out of his homeland leveled his place of worship kind of tried to change his whole identity of who this man is I mean. Gosh, I mean, I'm sure this guy, I mean, he's not a sane, normal individual. I mean, he's a narcissistic, arrogant, power-hungry, kind of psycho a little bit, all right? I mean, I know that sounds familiar to some things going on in our time, but, man, this is kind of what we see with him. And I'm sure this guy created a ton of stress for Daniel and all of his friends. So here he hears a dream. That Daniel knows, and we'll see this in just a minute, is the judgment upon King Nebuchadnezzar and all of his activity. And instead of Daniel going, yay, right? Which is what I would be doing. Like, you ripped me from my homeland. May have killed his parents. We don't know. Like, secretly, I'm going, finally, this jerk is getting what he deserves and i am so excited to tell you about the judgment of god right that's not daniel's posture it's not vindictive it's not in anger he's not happy to tell some disturbing news to nebuchadnezzar he's full of compassion and truth he's full of grace in truth, sound familiar. And so Daniel tells him the interpretation, and basically says, "Look, King Neb, <laughs> you're the tree. You're, you're prosperous, you've been given a, a great position, your, your kingdom is stretched all over I me, and you have, yeah, you're the, you're the, the cosmic tree, but God's going to humble you." He's going to bring judgment on you. He's going to cut you down and send you out into the wilderness and you're going to lose your mind. You're not going to be sane. And for seven years, you're going to be out in the wilderness like a cow, like an ox, eating grass. But, he says, it's conditional. If you repent and humble yourself now, maybe this won't happen to you. Look what he says in verse 27. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sin by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the deity. Perhaps, perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. So if you humble yourself now and repent, King Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps this won't happen. So the next verse tells us that a year passed. We're not sure what went on in that year. We're not sure why it was a year. Maybe, maybe Nebuchadnezzar kind of changed his ways for a little while and God withheld judgment. Or maybe God was just kind of waiting and being patient, just like he's patient with all of us. And then we see in verse 29 that at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of a royal palace in Babylon, The king exclaimed, and this is what he said, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? So he's walking on his roof, seeing all that he sees in Babylon, and he says, Man, look how great I am. Look what I have done with my hands. And isn't all of this done for my glory, my sake, and for my name? Now, guys, look, first of all, when we read this, we, we, we first kind of see, man, this is so out there. And like, ah, you can't even, like, identify with this. But hopefully you can sort of sympathize with this a little bit. I mean, he's, he's the most powerful man in the world, I mean, it's hard for us to fathom his power. I mean, we can somewhat see that with the president of the United States. Yeah, most of us would say he's one of the most powerful men in the world, but even his power has restrictions. Even his powers sort of have limits, and even his power only has eight years if he gets eight years, right? It's like, you know, we we, we sort of get it, but we don't. I mean, goodness gracious, King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world at this time. Whatever he said had to be done, no matter what came out of his mouth. Build me a 90-foot tower. Everybody worship me. That's what they do, right? That seems insanity to us, but that's how much power this man had. So these are not empty boasts. I mean, he's looking out on this massive kingdom that he built. He built one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens. That's him. He led the way to build one of the seven wonders of the world. I can't even hang a picture frame straight. Amen? Can you imagine leading the charge to build one of the seven wonders of the world and what that would do in you? I think all of us, if we just take a second can kind of sort of understand and sympathize why a man would do this, because it's not an empty boast. He's a pretty impressive guy. And at the same time, because this is so outlandish, right, we have difficulty seeing ourselves in King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the hard thing about the Bible, it's a hard thing about reading the Bible. All of us, and I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying this is what we tendence, have a tendency to do. We want to put ourselves in the good light. We always want to see ourselves in Daniel. Oh, yeah, it's will be Daniel, right? That's like, okay, maybe there's some parts, but part of what reading through the Bible like this is that you've got to identify yourself even in characters you don't want to be like. Because I'm here to tell you, There's a part of King Neb and every single one of us in this room, including me. Yeah, no, we're not going up on our roof (laughs) and going, look at my one-fourth acre domain. I am impressive, right? It's like, (laughs) or whatever you got. Maybe you got five acres, but no one's doing that, right? But have you ever said in your own heart, it's my life. I'll do with it whatever I want. I mean, I know it was a big Billy Joe song back in the 70s, and I really actually liked that song, right? But isn't that sort of the cultural mantra? Even some 30, 40 years later, and it's not just the cultural mantra. It's in you. It's in me. You ever said, hey, I earned it, I worked for it, it's mine, I'll do whatever I want to with it. You know what we're going to do in the next five to ten years? Here's my life planned out, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to find me a wife, we're going to get married, we're going to have an X number of kids, I'm going to land this job. We're going to get this house. We're going to move in this neighborhood, whatever. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dreaming and planning, but there is something wrong with it when we absolutely exclude God from it. Isn't what James said, that when we boast about what we're going to do tomorrow, this and this and this, we're going to go here and go there, and then you just absolutely don't even recognize or acknowledge that there's someone in charge, and it's not you. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe that doesn't resonate with you. Another way of kind of saying this, and I, like I, I get it, these are areas that are hard, but just, just hang with me. Do you pray? And like, can we just have an honest answer to that, right? Man, if there's anything that the gospel should do for us, is it teach us to be honest about what is real in us? And sometimes we'll hear that and go, yeah, I pray. But the reality is, is the only time we pray is when we're in crisis. And we don't really get what Paul says when he says pray at all times, that there's a, there's a posture and a way of life of praying. Do you worship? Oh, yeah, yeah, I worship, I go to church. Yeah, I'm here today, Lyle. Hello, Right? sing for 30 minutes. I'm singing. Some of them, you know, some of them are just standing. But I'm singing. I'm worshiping. I'm not just talking about like a moment. But it's the posture of your life, a posture of worship. And the reason why I bring out prayer and praise is because of what Andy Crouch said in his book, Playing God. He said this, prayer and praise begins and continues when we allow ourselves to be made small. Prayer and praise begins and continues when we allow ourselves to be made small. So that means if there's a lack of prayer and a lack of spontaneous worship in my life, then I think I'm great. I'm pretty big in my eyes. And there's a lot of Nebuchadnezzar in all of us. So look what happens in verse 31. So while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, to you it's declared That the kingdom has departed from you, you will be driven away from people to live with wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time, which most translators say that's seven years. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wants. And at that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew from sky until his hair grew like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. God effortlessly reduces the most powerful man in the world to a beast-like state in the wilderness, like a flick of his finger. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary, says this, talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Having portrayed himself as a superhuman, right? you got the big statue in chapter 3. He became subhuman. Having set up his own stone to be worshipped as the image of God, he forfeited life as the image of God and the last remnants of true glory. Having behaved in beast-like fashion, he now reaped the harvest of which he had sown the seeds. So that's kind of the context, the story that got us to what we read in verses 34 and 35, 37. Like, how did, how did we get to a place where now he's praising the name of God? Like, how did, what's this whole sanity stuff? Well, that's the story. That's what got us where we are. And here's the question I have. Why is this happening to him? Like, why, why is he being driven out by God? into a wilderness, loses sanity for a period of time, eating grass like an ox or a cow. Why is this happening to him? Well, three times in chapter 4, we see why. One of them is in verse 25 where we see this. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals who will feed on grass like cattle and drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time. And here's why. Until you acknowledge... That the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. That is repeated three times in chapter 4, verse 17, verse 25, verse 32. So here's why this is happening to Nebuchadnezzar. To teach Nebuchadnezzar that God is in charge and that everything he has is a gift. So Neb, you're not ruler, I am. And even your position as one of the most powerful people in the world today is a gift from me. I'm the one that gave it to you. I'm in charge, and everything you got is a gift from me. That's why he's doing this. That's why Nebuchadnezzar has lost his sanity for a little bit, and he's eating grass like a cow, so that he would acknowledge that God is in charge, and everything he has is a gift. But I got a follow-up question with that. What's God's posture? So if this is why He's doing it. Then, then what's the heart of God here? What's the posture of God toward King Nebuchadnezzar? You know, is God doing this because you know He's like, I eh, got kind of set him in his place, right? He's a little arrogant, getting too big for his britches, right? You ever done that as a parent? This little guy getting a little too big for his britches. I need to make sure he knows who's in charge, right? Maybe I'm the only one. I don't even see any giggling a little bit, right? Your home's not a democracy, amen? My home's not a democracy. Y'all ought to personalize it. It ain't democracy. He's like, hey, no, man. It's like this is there's a ruler in this home, and it ain't you, amen, right? And every once in a while, you need to establish some order. So is that what God's doing here? That he's just getting a little too much about himself, and so he wants to... Do something that kind of humiliates him and puts him in his place, right? During, um, during the summers of my college years, as most of you know, I worked at a camp in Ohio. It's where I met my, my wife, Kathy, and uh, God used that experience in a very powerful way in my life. And, and part of that is because of my boss, his name is Scott Cedar, and Develop a lifelong friendship and, uh, yeah, just a great man that God used in my life in a powerful way. So, my, my first summer, while I'm there, yeah, remember, I'm, dude, I'm 18 years old. I am, yeah, 18, full of myself, think I am the best things on the planet, and I'm God's gift to everybody that rolls in. That's, you know, I never said that, but that was in me. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like it is for all of us that are 18. Amen? Okay, I feel like I'm a little alone. I feel a little naked right now, but that's okay. And so um, uh, there was always banter between me and Scott. Uh, banter of like what I'm like going to do. I was a lifeguard there. And, and so he had a tendency to kind of stretch my job description beyond lifeguard duties. And so I, he didn't have, you know, there's a lot of these things he would add. And I think he did some of them because I needed to be added to. Some of them he did out of spite just to kind of like, be a jerk sometimes. Uh, but there was one time when we were just kind of banting back and forth because he asked me to mow a certain part of the property. And, you know, we kind of went at it for just a little bit. It was kind of fun and sarcastic, you know. It wasn't, like, bad. But I do remember saying this. I said, okay, but here's the thing, buddy. I'll go do that. But I will never mow your grass. I'll mow the cant's grass. I'll mow that patch you just said. But your personal lawn... I will never mow. So about three days later, <laughs> what am I doing, right? I'm mowing his grass. And it didn't even need mowing. It was in the middle of July, right? It's like it was a stinking dust bowl, right? And why did he do that? Well, I, in, in some ways, I needed to be put in my place. He's the boss. I'm not. Is that what God's doing here? No. No. In his great love for Nebuchadnezzar, in his wisdom of knowing that if pride remains unchecked, it will destroy his life, in his desire, that King Nebuchadnezzar flourish. That's that's the posture of God here. That's the motive behind God's intentions here, and so then God gave King Nebuchadnezzar some gifts, a dream, a weird, crazy dream. That was a gift of God. Not only did he give him dream, he gave him the, the dream whisperer, right? Daniel. Who came and helped him understand the dream. That's a gift of God. And then he brought on a crisis. Suffering. Pain. Difficulty. A loss of his sanity. Why? Not just so that you know, King Nebuchadnezzar can just kind of be humiliated and put in his place. But out of his great love for King Nebuchadnezzar, he brought on this gift of a loss of sanity so that King Nebuchadnezzar can wake up and see how life is to be lived. That God wanted this pagan, evil, foreign king To know Him. Not in some cognitive, like, you know, take a test. Yeah, I know you're the Trinity. I know you're omniscient. know everything. Blah, 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 blah. No, but He wanted Him to experience the reality of His presence. And that's what He wants for you. Like, guess look. We live in an over-churched area where it seems like every coffee shop you go to, everybody's doing a Bible study. It seems like you just go up to somebody and say, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. How do you know? Well, Jesus died for my sins. We all have the answers. We all have this cognitive sort of understanding of who God is. And God is not satisfied with that. And it's not about Him. It's not like, oh, I'm I'm just so needy. No. He wants it for you. He knows that you are created to be in relationship with Him in communion with Him. Not just have this cognitive understanding, but that you have an intimacy and an experience with Him. And listen to me. He will go to great measures for you to get that. Even the gift of of losing your sanity. We pray that God would not do that to any of us in this room. But if that's what it takes to wake me up, so be it. That's what he did to King Neb. We see this, what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, this is good and it pleases God our Savior. Who who? Who's the who there? God. He wants, He desires, He longs that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He says it again in Romans chapter 8. When He said this, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, that's the links by which He has gone in order for you to know Him. Not just here. Not just here. Here. For you to really have a relationship with Him. He has gone to great lengths. He did not spare His own Son, and He will continue to do that. God longs for you to know Him. He knows what pride and self-reliance and arrogance and ruling your own life will do. It will end in tragedy. He knows that. And He wants you to flourish. And He wants you to live life as it's supposed to be lived. Not on your rooftop going, wow, look how awesome I am. I got a fourth of an acre. And I know we don't ever say that because there are ways that we do the same thing. It's just a little more subtler. So how is God trying to get your attention? How is God waking you up? What is he doing even this morning? I mean, have you had a weird dream this week? I'm not saying that's God waking you. yell. I mean, I'm just saying it could be. He still can speak through dreams, right? It's not like he's done, yes, finally and completely spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, but he still uses dreams. Maybe. Is he using a friend? I mean, I thank God for Scott Cedar. I didn't plan on him showing up in my life when I was 18 years old, but I thank God he did. Because God used him in a powerful way in my life to change the trajectory and the course of my life, literally. And for some of you right now, he's using a friend. He's trying to wake you up. Hey, wake up. What about a crisis? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe a a child is not living in the way that you desire for them to live and it's just eating you up. Maybe it's another relationship in school or neighborhood or in the family, whatever. If you've got a pulse, you've probably got a relational crisis. Amen? And I'm not saying that that is because of some deep sin in you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes God uses crisis in your life to wake you up. And maybe, maybe, that's what he's doing here. These are all invitations, a dream, a friend, a crisis, suffering, pain. Rolling into church, right? Maybe you just showed up and not sure why you came, right? I don't... Those are all invitations to look up. Now, what do you mean, Law? What do you mean, look up? I love how the chapter ends here, and we read it earlier in the reading of the word, and I don't know if you made these connections, but I want to just kind of quickly land on this, and this is where we're done. Verse 34, where he says this. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do? I looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. And then I praised. And we got that long praise there in verse 35. And then again in verse 36, at that time, my sanity. At what time? When I looked up. When I looked up at that time, my sanity returned. Returned to me. Crisis looked up. Sanity returned. Like don't, don't miss the connection. It's when he acknowledged the reality of who God is, which he's always been that. He was just blinded to it. When he acknowledged who he was, acknowledged that all that he has is a gift from him, When he looked up, his sanity came back. Sometimes we forget in Luke 15... And that parable of the prodigal son, that a crisis came in his life that brought him back to his sanity, right? You've come to and forget that. So here's the, the son that said, hey, I want you dead, dad. Give me your money. Get some money. Goes and blows it, right? And then what's the text say? A famine came. A famine came in the land. And here's this guy, because of famine, crisis came. He's in a pigsty feeding pigs, and his reason came back. It's like, oh my gosh, my dad treats his servants better than me, right? And when did this happen? Crisis. Famine came to the land. He's in a pigsty. Wakes up. That could be what God's doing in your life right now. Crisis. Looked up. Sanity returned. crisis. Looked up. Sandy returned. Healing began for King Neb when he looked up. And if you and I want our lives to be healed in all of its dimensions, then this is where it starts and where it continues. God's not out to get you He's not out to make your life miserable. God loves you, and He wants the best for you, and He wants your life to flourish, and He will go to great lengths to make that happen, even a loss of your sanity, so that you will look up and be healed. Let's pray together.